0: we had on board, or how much each barrel held. I only know we had no other cargo. The name of the brig was The Good Intent. A queer name enough, you'll tell me, for a vessel laden with gunpowder and sent to help a revolution. And as far as this particular voyage was concerned, so it was. I mean that for a joke. I hope you'll encourage me by laughing at it. The Good Intent was the craziest tub of a vessel I ever went to see in, and the worst found in all respects. She was two hundred and thirty or two hundred and eighty tons burden, I forget which, and she had a crew of eight, all told, nothing like as many as we ought by rights to have had to work the brig. However, we were well and honestly paid our wages, and we had to set that against the chance of foundering at sea, and on this occasion likewise the chance of being blown up into the bargain. In consideration of the nature of our cargo, we were harassed with new regulations which we didn't at all like, relative to smoking our pipes and lighting our lanterns, and as usual in such cases the captain who made the regulations preached what he didn't practise. Not a man of us was allowed to have a bit of a lighted candle in his hand when he went below, except the skipper, and he used his light when he turned in or when he looked over his charts on the cabin table, just as usual. This light was a common kitchen candle or dip and it stood in an old battered flat candlestick, with all the Japan worn and melted off, and all the tin showing through. It would have been more seamanlike and suitable in every respect if he'd had a lamp or a lantern, but he stuck to his old candlestick, and that same old candlestick as ever afterwards stuck to me. That's another joke, if you please, and a better one than the first, in my opinion. Well I said well before, but it's a word that helps a man on like. We sailed in the brig and shaped our course, first for the Virgin Islands in the West Indies, and after sighting them we made for the Leeward Islands next, and then stood on due south, till the lookout at the mast-head hailed the deck and said he saw land. That land was the coast of South America. We'd had a wonderful voyage so far. We'd lost none of our spars or sails, and not a man of us had been harassed to death at the pumps. It wasn't often the good intent made such a voyage as that, I can tell you. I was sent aloft to make sure about the land, and I did make sure of it. When I reported the same to the skipper, he went below and had a look at his letter of instructions and the chart. When he came on deck again he altered our course a trifle to the eastward. I forget the point on the compass, but that don't matter. What I do remember is that it was dark before we closed in with the land. We kept the lead going, and hove the brig to in from four to five fathoms water, or might be six, I can't say for certain. I kept a sharp eye to the drift of the vessel, none of us knowing how the currents ran on that coast. We all wondered why the skipper didn't anchor, but he said no, he must first show a light at the foretop mast-head, and wait for an answering light on shore. We did wait. Nothing of the kind appeared. It was starlight and calm. What little wind there was came in puffs off the land. I suppose we waited, drifting a little to the westward as I made it out, best part of an hour before anything happened, and then, instead of seeing the light on shore, we saw a boat coming towards us, rowed by two men only. We hailed them, and they answered, "'Friends,' and hailed us by our name. They came on board. One of them was an Irishman, and the other was a coffee-coloured native pilot who jabbered a little English. The Irishman handed a note to our skipper, who showed it to me. It informed us that the part of the coast we were off was not over-safe for discharging our cargo, seeing that spies of the enemy, that is to say, of the old government, had been taken and shot in the neighbourhood the day before. We might trust the brig to the native pilot, and he had his instructions to take us to another part of the coast. The note was signed by the proper parties, so we let the Irishman go back alone in the boat and allowed the pilot to exercise his lawful authority over the brig. He kept us stretching off from the land till noon the next day, his instructions seemingly ordering him to keep up well out of sight of the shore. We only altered our course in the afternoon, so as to close in with the land again a little before midnight. This same pilot was about as ill-looking a vagabond as ever I saw, a skinny, cowardly, quarrelsome mongrel who swore at the men in the vilest broken English, till they were every one of them ready to pitch him overboard. The skipper kept them quiet, and I kept them quiet, for the pilot being given us by our instructions we were bound to make the best of him. Near nightfall, however, with the best will in the world to avoid it, I was unlucky enough to quarrel with him.